Hello, friends, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Fort Worth Roots. But we even had, there was like a solar salesman that came to the door and they were like 19. He ended up staying for dinner with us because that's, <laughs> that's the Reedlands. And uh, he left to like go home and my 10-year-old was like, oh, I thought he was a foster. I thought he was going to stay with us. I'm like, we don't get to keep that one, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. He wants to put gear on our roof. Yeah, I'm like, no, he's like an, a young adult. Like yeah. he's, he's fine. He has a mom. <laughs> you can find Fort Worth Roots on all your favorite streaming services, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get it. Just look for Fort Worth Roots. Same on social media and YouTube. There are videos associated with these episodes. We're releasing this episode just a few days early because I wanted to get a chance to say Merry Christmas. Hope you're getting to spend some time with your family. Hope everybody's warm inside on these cold, cold days. And super last minute, our friend Richard Keller from Itchy Richie and the Burning Sensations has put together a little event for you out at Southside Preservation Hall that's on Lipscomb Street. It's called A Very Itchy Christmas. And he's got an incredible lineup here. It starts at 5 p.m. with Daryl Sellers, Big Heaven at 6, Itchy Richie and the Burning Sensations at 7, and then Traumatics go on at 8 p.m. This is a great lineup. If you're not familiar with these bands, you can look them up yourself or just come hang out with us. Doors open up at four, uh, $10 at the door. There's going to be a cash bar, there's a food truck, and uh, lots of fun. Lots of good people going to be there. Uh, it's going to be a good time, so come check it out. This episode is sponsored by Roofing Solutions by Darren Houck. You can go to roofingsolutionshauk.com or reach them at 817-882-6520. Give them a call, tell them you heard about them on the Fort Worth Roots Podcast, and you'll get 50% off a roofing tune-up. More information about events and our sponsors at the end of the episode. And real quick, if this is your first time listening to the Fort Worth Roots Podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you don't lose us. We did not choose today's episode at random. I wanted this to be kind of a, a Christmassy type vibe for this episode. You could draw a lot of conclusions about today's message, but for me, I think it's one of hope. There's a lot of really great people doing a lot of incredible things. With our foster system here in the Fort Worth area, Tanya Houck from the Gladney Center, one of my friends and a friend of the Fort Worth Roots podcast, invited us out to talk to these people about several community organizations that help with uh, child placement, foster care, and adoption services. So a huge thank you to Tanya for allowing us to share these people's story and be part of this little get-together. First recording is going to be with Judy Frostro. She's with the local organization called Unfaulted. You can find them at unfaulted.org. All this information, of course, is in the show notes. She also volunteers with the Gladney Center and Casa of Tarrant County. Recording two is with Jim and Chelsea Reedland. They're the founders of an organization called Hope Local. You can find them at hopelocal.com. And then we finish the recording out with Lori Stripmatter. Her and her husband have been a foster family and then adopted their son when he was two years old. Their family now fosters infants out of the Tarrant County area. There's a lot of insight here into what goes on into the foster care system and the, the state of where we're at with that. And some of the message today is a little bit bleak, but I really want to lean into the, the hopeful side of this. And that's why I saved this one for just before Christmas. Big thank you to Judy, Jim, Chelsea, and Lori for being part of the Fort Worth Roots podcast and sharing their stories with us. Some of these subjects aren't probably easy to talk about, but they want to make sure that they get their message heard. So they were happy to come on and, and share a little bit of their experience with the foster care system. All right, that's enough talking out of me. Thank you all for being here. And one more time from Fort Worth Roots podcast to you, Merry Christmas. Christmas, and let's start the show! Did you say that last name again? Frostro. Can you spell that for me so I don't mess it up? F-R-A-U-S-T-R-O. Okay, perfect. And w- what... 
so most names have like a country that they came from italy italy okay that's what we're told we, <laughs> we have um mafia for family right on yeah i wish i knew them <laughs> <laughs> they might uh come in handy if you need to back up in certain sticky situations i think so <laughs> so i we had different groups that were going to sit down with us today at camp carter um and and talk about the foster care program um which segment of the foster care uh, system are we talking about with you today so i actually was kind of born into the foster care system okay. i um had I was born at Gladney, given up for adoption by my mom, who was 13. Okay. And she... Uh, was this happening here in Fort Worth? Yeah, in okay. Fort Worth, yeah. So, I guess it used to be maybe just a few miles from where the center is now. So, um, I was born there, and I had a birth defect. And so, I guess a long time ago, it was difficult to get homes for kids who had birth defects. And so, I went into a group home with 20 kids. Mm -hmm. um, I was raised there for my first 13 years of life and it was an abusive home. They did a lot of, um, a lot of what they did for money. Yeah. Um, you know, the state oversaw them. So basically I was a foster kid my entire life. Um, I was removed from the home at 13 and then taken to another home um, where I was not abused, but had to kind of earn my place mm -hmm. um, in family. And so was on Wednesday's Child, which is, you know, an advocate for trying to find a home for kids. Several families tried me out. I didn't meet their expectations. And so yeah. um, I aged out of the system. And that's what, 18? 18. Yeah. yeah. Turned 18, came home too late one night, and all of my stuff from my room had been packed in boxes on my front porch and I was told that I was not allowed to come back. So oh my God. that's how that's how it ended. So no positive uh stories up to eighteen sounds like this was a very bad period in your life is uh very rough. Is kind of what I'm getting from this. Mm -hmm. Didn't sound like you had any support. Uh did you have any any uh, adult figures that were kinda in your corner or I mean, there for you? I would say I had it. I was kind of on my own. Yeah. I was fighting for myself most of my life until I turned 18. And then I had a boyfriend who I'd known for about three months and went off to college. I'm, I'm pretty much the statistic. Like, yeah. the statistics say, you know, you'll have, I guess it's like, I don't even know, 97% will. Um, not graduate college and then you'll have like 75% I think who will end up pregnant before they're 21 so I was pregnant at 18 mm. um, my husband who I have now been married to for 29 years <laughs> um, I married him within three months um, which you know that would be crazy <laughs> but um, we have fought for everything so I, yeah. I got pregnant and at that point that was really what changed my life I knew that I had to pull it together for this boy well one thing that's not statistically uh, accurate I think is that after all these years and uh, being together for three months and then that rushing <laughs> right into it that you're still together that's it's not yeah that's an anomalous statistic thing there right? yeah and we've kind of <laughs> gone against the grain I think since then yeah so that's our, awesome. our boys are I have a 28 year old and a 26 year old and they're 
crazy, healthy, <laughs> happy, confident. Oh my goodness, <laughs> um, amazing kids. So, so, uh, I guess to to finally find that family that you you wanted whenever you were growing up, you just had to go out and make one yourself. When I had my son, I looked down at him and I said, "This is the first thing that is is actually mine." that will always be mine. It's my blood. The first time I knew someone who looked like me, but I didn't know what I looked like. I didn't even have pictures of myself. I had no mm-hmm. idea what I looked like as a, as a baby, as a child. Mm. Um, so I would look at them and I'd be like, I wonder if you are me or, <laughs> you know, who you are. Where did you come from? And so, yeah. but. Wild. Do you feel like the uh, the foster care system, as, as far as what you've seen with, with your experience compared to now, do you think that there's healthier, uh, better foster care options for kids that are entering the system nowadays compared to I what you went through? I would say the foster care system is absolutely overwhelmed. Yeah. And while there are probably some really great foster families, um, and I know there are some really amazing people. I've met them. Um, some beautiful people who will actually be sharing today with us um, who are foster parents. I think that um, overarchingly, we don't have enough families. We don't have enough support for the families. And it's difficult because it's like an overwhelmed, broken system. Yeah. They're, they're trying to shuffle kids into a system and there's so many group homes and you end up getting lost. Yeah. So overarchingly, would I like to say that it's so much better? I don't know. I mean, uh, the majority of children in foster care today go through over, I think, 10 homes um, in their short span of care. So I think foster parents are overwhelmed, and I think it's just difficult. Yeah, There's a lot of different factors that go into that, but mm. yeah. So what can people do to to help what can our community do to pull together and and do you know what i heard i heard that if one one church one family out of one church in america would adopt one child there would be no children left in the system Mm. can you imagine we'd have to do some number crunching that sounds wild isn't that wild but i'm I'm not sure that that's accurate but if every what if these uh super churches that i see popping up all over north texas what if they took two I know, right? Like, <laughs> would we even have any... You know what I think is really sad is that we've asked the state of Texas to be the parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a state was never meant to be a child's parent. Yeah. Yeah. So as a community, what can the community do? They can step up and help a kid. It, you would be amazed at the difference. So after 18, I actually started going to church, met some amazing people, and that is actually why I am who I am. They surrounded me and I kind of grew up in from 18 on (laughs) um and I'm had a a, not even a foster parent but just a a father and Mm -hmm. a mother that kind of surrounded me in my life and helped me to know that I didn't have to fight for family I didn't have to I mean they had no reason to be in my life they weren't paid to be my parents they weren't paid to be family um and they just stuck around so we need people we need people to just love kids to pour into them and it you know you don't realize the impact that you can have on a life yeah i think a lot of people um short themselves they think less of what they can actually do 
in the life of a kid. These people that surrounded me, they didn't do anything special. They didn't buy me cars or buy me a house. You know what I mean? Like right. it wasn't some huge They were thing. there. They were just there. Yeah. They were just there. And Which I is think exactly what you needed. That's like. all I needed. That's yeah. all you need. You need community. You need someone who will stand by you and say, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how far you push me away. Guess what? I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here. Don't make me cry. It's too early for tears. (laughs) And it's like you think that that's invaluable, but that's the one thing that has changed my life. Yeah. Someone standing beside me saying, I love you. It doesn't matter how perfect you are, how imperfect you are. I love you. Yeah. So. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad there's a happy ending to that story because it started off pretty bleak. It's a little rough. (laughs) (laughs) My husband was like, what are you going to say good? I was like, you know, how about we just skip the first 18 years? (laughs) Move right into Move right into, you know, my foster parents, I think that one thing about foster care is that a lot of times I think people go into it and they're kind of doing it for themselves. Mm -hmm. They may not realize it, but they're expecting something in return from this kid who has no ability to give them anything. Yeah. And so as a foster parent, we all, we actually fostered for about, I don't know, eight, eight years. And a lot of people, the common thing is I couldn't do that. I couldn't give up a kid. I'm like, is it actually about you? Yeah. Is it actually about you? Because if it's not, you can do it. If it's about you, if it becomes about what you have to offer, or how good of a parent you are comparing yourself to another family, then you probably can't do it. But if it's just about being there for that child, can you do that Yeah. until they either get to go back home or find a forever family? Yeah. So. So with a foster family, they take in a child that needs a, needs placement mm-hmm. until uh, the court is able to figure out what happened domestically with their, their home or their parents or whatever. And maybe they get to go back to their parents right. um, or they find a forever home, meaning, um, <laughs> people that have decided that they want to adopt mm-hmm. um, and then they move on right. from the foster family and then that foster family takes on the responsibility of another child is that correct correct yeah yeah and so that's that's what you're saying the, the big need for are the foster families mm-hmm. yeah I mean we had foster kids in hotels we had foster kids in just waiting with caseworkers with no place to go and no family to go to so there aren't enough families for the kids. Yeah. There just aren't. And do you do a lot of work with Gladney now? I help with Gladney. I'm also with an organization called Unfaulted, which is helping aged out foster youth. Okay. So um, we are looking at maybe being able to potentially help more with Gladney and their home that they have for uh, foster girls. Okay. And so I'm kind of all about that aged out life yeah um there's so little support in the system and there's even less when you're aging out a lot of you're 18 we did our part we did our part thanks have a great life you're not a kid anymore yeah and it's like i mean i was 18 pregnant and alone and the person that i knew in my life the longest was my husband of three months yeah and my son i had no cousins aunts uncles anyone no mom, no dad, no influence. It was like starting over. Yeah. So every time you go to a new home, you lose everything you have. And you're in a new setting, a new environment, a new family. And you have to adjust to that. 
and the expectation is that you will be good. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that's what the goal is, right? Yeah. I want a good kid. I want a good kid. Yeah. I mean, we want to be good, but... We're kids. We're kids. And we're hurt. (laughs) Yeah. And we don't know how to be good. It's like... So... Yeah, I can't even imagine that. I mean, you know, I I think anybody that's grown up in uh, a a typical nuclear family... um, uh, it's it's hard to fathom what that would be like. It's interesting. My kid turned 18, and I was like, I had him young. I'm like, when I turn 40, I'm going to be done. Like, it's over, right? Because that's all I knew. Yeah. I'm like, my son is not gone. They just walk in your house. They take your food. <laughs> they you got to go pick them up when they have a flat tire. I'm like, what, what is this life? Like <laughs> how do you, and, and then I realized like, I really thought I was grown yeah. because of the expectations that were put on me. I thought that that's what I had to be. Mm-hmm. And I did like, I had to figure out life. No one was going to help me figure it out. I'm like, I was a child, but I didn't, you don't realize it until you have your own child and you're looking at them going, you will not make it. <laughs> uh, you want lunch money? What? <laughs> so what did you do uh, moving on after the marriage? And uh, you, you have your kid now. Did, did you uh, go into the workforce? Did you start so doing I anything actually, like that? So I actually started working. I, I was never going to leave my children because I was right. like, I'm going to protect them their whole life. Well, um, I started working at an organization, a church, um, volunteering, and they're like, hey, would you like to work here? Didn't interview, just kind of fell into the job <laughs> and um, worked there for 18 years. Became oh, wow. the executive church administrator there. Um, kind of just ran the place and um, ended up 2020. Um, I decided... Well, actually, I got really sick because I was trying to prove myself, um, earn family my yeah. whole life. I yeah. tried to earn my position in family, and so I just was exhausted, worn out. I had lupus. I was dying, actually. Mm. So um, this was not COVID-related? Not COVID-related. No. I just, sick. my body was just done. Yeah. My, do- my body was done living up to the expectations I put on her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Literally, physically, I couldn't do it anymore. And at that point, I was like, what do I want to do? Like, I literally fell into this position. And I think God obviously led me there. But um, I had never thought, like, what was I created to do? Like, what do I want to do? I never had the opportunity to even think like that. And so my kids are grown. Um, 2020 hits and I'm like, I don't know that I'll ever get to do what I actually want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, I'm going to find an organization that is helping foster kids reach out to Gladney, reach out to, I look actually for Unfaulted, a group that is reaching um, aged out foster youth Mm -hmm. and there's absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like, I'm like, wait a minute. How did we get here? So Unfaulted was not there? It had just started. Oh, okay. It had just started. And so we were like, is there anything else? Like, finally found them. I did a hashtag aged out on um, social media is how I found them. Hmm. Couldn't find anything on Google searching and all of that, but finally found them. And I was like, hey, what's happening over here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> got hooked up with them, got hooked up with Gladney. And I'm like, I just want to. And they're a Fort Worth organization? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, just serving the community, serving girls. So I've talked to um, Tanya 
mm-hmm. with um, Gladney, mm-hmm. and I've spoken with Jamie Hernandez. I almost forgot his name with uh, Casa yeah. of Tarrant County. Yeah. So, um, and and now that I've got you here and you're, uh, I'm actually a Casa worker too. Are you really? Yeah, okay, I started okay. doing that in 2020. Awesome. Yeah, uh, so you're all over the place. I am all over the place. I'm like, <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> How well, can I serve? What I'm finding talking to different organizations that are, you know, they specialize in different areas right. of it, but uh, taking care of the kids is the the main scope That's right. of it. Um, it sounds like these organizations are doing a really good job of kind of helping each other out, yeah. communicating and partnering networking together. and partnering. So um, do you feel like uh, Unfaulted is, is kind of part of that team now? Oh, yeah. 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 They actually are supporting um, Gladney. They've done a few things for them. Um, I think everybody just wants to help. Yeah. Everybody just wants to give back in some yeah. way and be able to help fix this broken system yeah well um it it seems overwhelming uh because because one person couldn't possibly fix the whole thing couldn't right the ship but Mm -mm. uh there needs to be it sounds like a social change in order to really right that wrong it's 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 what's broken in family has to be repaired there yeah it really does and and the state can't be family yeah for sure we have to do it mm-hmm. without you and me and unfaulted and hope local and everybody doing their part we won't make it how do people find information on unfaulted um www.unfaulted.org okay yeah and i'll put that in the show notes awesome um is there any other social media or website information you'd like our listeners to i mean about? not <laughs> if that works yeah. yeah i mean hope local is going to be here i know they're going to share they're an amazing organization as well and awesome. casa yeah you know um if you can't do foster care do something right you don't have to be a foster parent you don't have to have a kid come into your home but you can make a difference in a kid's life awesome yeah. awesome thank you so much for yeah. doing this and uh you know whether it's unfaulted casa or you just need to sit down and vent yeah Holler at me <laughs> and we'll do another recording all right sounds okay. good thank you thank you thank you well thank y'all for doing this with me um so we talked to judy and she told us a little bit about un- unfaulted. unfaulted great organization yes and, so good and we got to hear a little bit of her story now uh, y'all are foster family is that correct foster family adoptive family and we run respite a non-profit family, yeah, respite family non-profit family mm-hmm. so y'all have your own non-profit yeah we we uh, run a, a non-profit called hope local okay um, okay and so we um yeah, ah, ah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. You get you get pictures of the hat and the shirt. <laughs> yeah, make sure, make sure. It's in there. <laughs> um, our really our our organization is um, just kind of founded out of the idea that every child belongs in a family. This started for us back in I think it was 2013, 2014. We were um, I worked at a, a church on the west side of Fort Worth, and um, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, there was just quite a few of our families that were adopting all at the same time. And so there were seven or eight different families that were going through that process. And we thought, well, this is great. We should do something about this. And so we began to formalize just some support around those families, recruit some volunteers to wrap around them and love on them and support them while they were stepping into this new journey for their families. And that started to go really well. Our volunteers loved it. And they were kind of getting to exercise their faith in a way that they hadn't before. And they were connected to this whole new thing of child welfare. And the families loved it because they were feeling supported and loved in this kind of big, scary thing in life. And what are you doing? 
doing for these families? Just getting yeah. together and well, showing support? Or? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, practically, you know, we're, we're bringing meals, we're filling pantries, we're, um, you know, mowing yards or running errands or, or um, babysitting or paying laundry. for babysitters or doing laundry. <laughs> you know, the idea is there's, there's a thousand burdens in our life, just normal things that we've got to take care of. And, yeah. and so we can take some of those off of families so that they can focus on their transition. It's really helpful. And then, of course, we, we, we really pray for our families, which is such an underrated thing. You know, we kind of say that in passing on, praying for you or whatever, but we don't really believe that it matters. And we do really believe that it matters. And so that started to go really well. We thought, man, this is awesome. This is really fun. And we thought maybe there's some more families that would want to jump into this. And so we started to formalize some recruitment efforts and ask more people if they'd like to foster or adopt. And we had lots of families kind of step into that. And and so we began to support those families as well. And, and then we thought, hey, this, this is awesome. This is so much fun. This is great. <laughs> you know, maybe we can do something kind of outside the four walls of our church. And we started to advocate for kids that were waiting to be adopted. And we just were kind of stepping into this ministry and, and somewhere along the way we begin to think, you know, hey, it's kind of weird that we weren't already doing this, you know, like we kind of got convicted, like why weren't we connected to this? And so we thought, hey, there's probably tons of churches out there that are doing this way better than us. And so we started to look for, you know, other churches that could teach us how to grow in this ministry. And we just had a hard time finding churches that were engaged in this arena and in a meaningful way. And so that's really the where our organization was, was born out of. And we came across a stat at that time, which is, it haunts me, haunts me to this day. And uh, I, I can't get it out of my brain. And I know stats are, are kind of hard to work with because they change constantly. Right. And you never know if it's accurate. Yeah. Uh, these are relatively accurate. I keep track of it all the time. But, um, you know, at the time, there was fifteen to 17,000 kids in foster care proper, removed from mom and dad in a, in a temporary placement. 5,000 of those kids or so are waiting to be adopted, meaning they're never going back home to mom and dad. There's no aunts or uncles or grandmas that are available to adopt them. And they're just in the system waiting and hoping that there be a family that would adopt them. Is that nationally? Or? <laughs> That's in Texas. It's in the oh, state wow. of Texas. Much, much larger in, in, um, in the U.S. But that seems like a big, crazy number until you hear this one. There's almost 28,000 churches in the state of Texas. And so th- that, that revealed to me a, a major disconnect between um, a foundational function of the Christian faith and what's happening in our churches in Texas. Yeah. And s- and Judy had mentioned if uh, one, one church in Texas would sponsor one family or one child, then that would completely alleviate the situation. Totally. It doesn't, doesn't <laughs> even really. And of course, that doesn't really tell the whole story. But yeah, the, the numbers really work. <laughs> yeah. Know, like we, this is, you know, obviously we can't eradicate this. There's always going to be, you know, p- addiction and poverty and people struggling. However, we do have have an opportunity to legitimately bring much more health to a very struggling and difficult system if if the church would just re-engage with who we're supposed to be from yeah. the very beginning. And well, so I, I really appreciate that point that you're making there because it seems like now I, I grew up in Abilene, Texas, which at one time had the most churches per capita record uh i guess in the world i don't know it was yeah i've mm-hmm. heard that so we actually Pretty wild. met in abilene she went to hardin simmons <laughs> okay yeah. yeah so we're familiar with that yeah yeah um but it just it seems like with all these churches we shouldn't have homeless we shouldn't have all these uh social problems that we have with people that need help and can't get it anywhere right and and the numbers that you're telling me uh yeah that corresponds with my uh, yeah, totally. Issue with these mega churches that spend all this money on these beautiful, huge buildings with parking garages and state-of-the-art playgrounds, and we've got 
guys picking trash out of the dumpsters trying to survive on the streets sure and I, and, I, and, and like i said I, I don't think we can we're ever gonna see that in completely because there's just sin and brokenness and, and addiction and poverty and, and those things yeah however i, I do think um you know i don't want to be i don't be very critical of the church because really we know some great stats like christians are the most likely to serve the homeless the most likely to foster the most likely to adopt the most likely in all of these situations however there is a glaring disconnect between yeah. our faith and in and being engaged in in real tangible ministry in these arenas mm-hmm. and so uh, that's the whole point of our organization is helping churches you know ins- first inspire them into this like help them see what's going on in child welfare and, and help them make the connection that they can be a part of it and understand theologically what their connection to it is and then help them uh, build ministries that serve vulnerable kids and families and so that's what hope local is that is so awesome that's awesome now, i heard you mention laundry yes that's a big part of it huh well that's one of the things we have six kids we've had 20 you've got your own laundry yeah <laughs> we've had 20 come through our house over the past several years yeah 20 wow we mostly have teenagers uh-huh. so they do their own laundry because you know i want to teach them life skills yeah <laughs> right <laughs> but we have seen families that will take in big sibling groups of you know three four five six year olds mm-hmm. and that is a huge time suck in your day just keeping everyone clothed in clean clothes so when our churches really engage in this we have trainings called care communities where we kind of teach them this is the way to support foster families it's like a workshop you put together kind of yes yeah. uh, biological families because sometimes you you just don't you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. and um, so to be able to say hey we're gonna come help you with laundry so that you can bond and attach and do therapy and bio visits it's you know laundry is not something that you should have to focus on when you've just gotten four new kids into your home that have maybe not had food and not been bathed and have things that need to be checked out by the doctor a lot of things hit all at once Mm -hmm. and the last thing you want to worry about is laundry right right? which i think is one of the uh, like you know obviously i believe there's there's more more to getting the church engaged than this than just Strategy. I believe we're called to it. I think it's who we are as Christians. However, at a just purely strategic level, I think the church is uniquely equipped for this because not everyone is called to bring a kid into their home to be a foster and adoptive family. Um, every church probably has some of those, um, but everyone everyone can do something, and so anyone can do laundry mm-hmm. or anyone can bring a meal. Anyone can you know come run an errand, and it's like usually for those people, it's a small, easy thing that actually makes a big difference in in the family's lives. And so that's kind of the big idea is that not everyone. Everyone's going to adopt or foster, but everyone can do something. And care teams and care communities provides a way for everyone to engage in a meaningful way um, that kind of fits their lifestyle and, and, and who they are. So it sounds like you've kind of made a, a system out of networking with North Texas churches. Do y'all have uh, kind of a central location that y'all operate out of? or We uh, office from our home, yeah. our, our <laughs> game room, our ex-game room. We, uh, we had an office. Um, we... She's she's wanting you to take some pictures with her phone. Oh, she's got it. Oh, picture okay. time. Excellent. Yeah, so we um, we office out of our home. We had an office. Um, they sold the building, and we don't have an office anymore. But so outside's home. But um, we have amazing, great community partners and church partners. And so, you know, really most of our time is going and spending time with pastors in their churches and their leaders in their churches. And so, 
Um, Sundays are busy for you. Oftentimes yeah. they're busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're getting in front of uh, congregations and maybe sharing your story and talking to them and how they can help and encouraging them to kind of follow the uh, the mission of of Christianity. Just yeah. kind of get people back on track with what their uh, their their goal and focus should be in the, the first place. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's there, it does take it, it's shockingly disconnected so most most people and, and i don't really don't think it's their fault i'm not trying to be critical or harsh on um, our churches because i had no idea when i got into it um but we we really have no idea what's going on in child welfare at mm-hmm. large we really have no we don't have any understanding of what trauma is and how that affects kids who've experienced it yeah and so ultimately our goal is that we would connect our pastors and leaders enough where they would bring that to their congregations because they congregations will receive it much more from better from them than they will me right, right. Um, but obviously yeah we also we have a lot of experience in this arena as adoptive family and a foster family that we can stand in front and share experiences which is helpful as well yeah i think one of our favorite things is just having you know lunches with the pastors and with the staff and and educating and, and inspiring them so that then they can do that with their congregation. A lot of times if, if we just come in on a Sunday, they're like, oh, that's Hope Local. And so when we leave, the, the vision and burden leaves. Yeah. But if we can impart that to the leadership, then it can stay in that church. And right. then they can begin to recruit families out of their congregation and let's support communities out of their congregation yeah. and then we get to just resource them and and support them as they're doing yeah. the ministry instead of a sunday morning psa or announcement it becomes part of the church, that church's culture that's exactly yes. right awesome. that's our absolute goal is it's not just a an ancillary ministry but instead it's part of our culture because it's really who we are as believers yeah. it's not about a calling it's our identity as we become like christ that's who christ was it's god talks about it all throughout scripture he models it in the gospel and he commands it of us and so uh it, it needs to be our culture that's awesome yeah judy had mentioned or we had talked about what what, what do you do how do you how do you make a big difference because it's such a huge problem how do you correct the course of the ship but it has to be a social change uh, one person trying to attack it head-on is is hopeless but if we could change the uh footprint or the the information flow and the the, the scope of how our community engages this problem it, it could make a difference exactly right that's awesome well i'm excited to hear about hope local this is the first time i've been introduced to it i didn't know you guys were out there but you've always got the support of fort worth roots we're always trying to find community organizations that are doing good in our community so that's awesome um so tell me a little bit about being uh, a foster uh, home and uh, adopting what uh how how do you gear your brain to uh, to accept these challenges? Because I I think whenever you hear that there's such a need for foster families and there's such a need for uh, adoption, you, you immediately want to help. But then there's the next mental roadblock, right? How do you get past that? How do you? Okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah, here I we know. go. Let's go. That's a great question. I don't know. I we I have always. Um, wanted to adopt one. I remember being a young teenager and, and learning about kids that didn't have families. And I remember thinking like, this is ridiculous. What are yeah. we doing as a yeah. society that we're okay with this? And so I've always just been kind of, you know, bothered by that. And then uh, I came to know the Lord right after high school, a little later. And, and that, that 
passion in me made a little bit more sense after that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we we actually talked about that we wanted to adopt like on our first date. We that was a point of conversation. Wow, what an icebreaker! Yeah, (laughs) hey, listen, (laughs) I don't have time to mess around. We need to make sure. So, so we um, we always knew that we wanted to adopt. We it was just kind of a matter of when. And so we had three biological boys um, who were three, six, and nine at the time. And um, so we um, started the, the adoption process then, kind of felt like the right time. We had three boys, and so we imagined we were going to adopt a little two-year-old princess that fit ne- neatly in the birth order. And it did not go that way <laughs> for us. <laughs> after, after getting licensed and getting a little more close to what's happening we realized you know most kids in foster care that are waiting for adoption are, are older teenagers and sibling yeah. groups and kids with medical disabilities and now, so real quick what did you mean by licensed you have to be licensed in the state of texas to be a foster family yeah to be a foster family and to adopt you have to be licensed and that that comes with some training where they they teach you about trauma and some um, how to parent kids who've experienced difficult things and just also want to investigate you as a family to make sure, sure that you're fit sure. and uh, yeah. which is reasonable I think yeah. very, background very, checks yeah. fingerprints make sure your home is safe so you go you can go through a child placing agency to get licensed through the state of Texas um, but yeah for a child to a foster child to be in a home it has to be a licensed home okay so y'all got through all that all yeah. that we started to realize um, there's not a lot of two-year-old princesses is out there waiting to be adopted. <laughs> and so long story short, um, we ended up bringing home Avery um, when she, she, she was 16 when she moved in. She turned 17 that month. And so uh, instead of a two-year-old little princess, I got a you know, 17-year-old diva and uh, you know, jumped straight into teenager world. And six months later, we, um, her biological brother, Joe, who was 14 at the time, moved in with us. And then in August... Of and that 20, was a foster situation as well? Yeah. He, well, they, it's complicated. They had both been previously adopted and put back into foster care. Okay. And so... Um, Joe at the time did not want to be adopted because uh, for obvious reasons, you know, most of the, most of the adults in his life had let him down and he had a yeah. difficult time trusting. And so, um, wow. Avery still wanted to be adopted. And so we adopted Avery and, and part of our, um, agreement of, uh, bringing her into our family is that we'd keep her connected with Joe. And so we were, you know, having phone calls with Joe once a week and I would drive to Houston and pick him up and bring him back for the weekend. Oh, wow. So he could hang out with her and you were, know, whatever. Were you so doing that weekly? We did that once a month. Oh, Okay. And Man, still Houston. So, that's seven hours. It was. Uh, I think it was like five hours there, five hours back. So it's long days, but long days. Yeah, because we couldn't do the whole weekend because our biological kids had like soccer games right. on Saturday yeah. mornings. So Mark would take him or come pick him up on Friday and then take him home on Sunday. Yeah. So, so we did that for a while, and then finally, I think he he earned enough trust in us that he he decided he'd be open to becoming part of our family, and so um, we adopted him six months later. And then August of 2020, we finalized our third ad- adoption of Jonah about a week before he turned 18. Wow! And so he was he's actually a kid that we had been advocating for um, through Hope Local with oh. one of our partner churches, and it just didn't look like he was going to get adopted. And and I cried and said, "Can he come home?" and yeah, the rest <laughs> is history. <laughs> Put on the waterworks. Always, always works. Yeah. So this, there is, there's tons of, you know, there's, there's a major difference between thinking, oh man, I'd really maybe like to do that, and actually stepping into it. It's not a really oh, yeah. easy process. It's sometimes confusing and difficult, and then obviously. Um, there's tons of difficulties that come with stepping into this this world, but it's, you know, we always say it's like the hardest, best thing we've ever done. How big is your house? 
Because oh, it man. sounds massive. It is. It sounds like it's a like whole other story. A plantation, you know, like the with the big colonial, beautiful house with the huge acreage around I, it. I uh, wish we had acreage. It is a I huge wish. house, but it's <laughs> it's like five feet from our neighbors on both sides. But <laughs> it's an amazing story. We um, we were living in um, a three bedroom, fifteen hundred square foot house that we thought was the greatest house we'd ever be able to afford. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. We'd adopted Avery. Two then, bathrooms. That was two like bathrooms. game changer. <laughs> had sidewalks in the neighborhood. We thought we made it. This kind of sidewalks, <laughs> and so we had our three boys, Justice, Jude, and Joel, on triple bunk beds in one bedroom, and then Avery moved in. And it was the other bedroom, and so when it, when we decided we were going to adopt Joe, we had some logistical issues in our home, and so um, we couldn't fit him in. We weren't going to put four boys in one room, and so we looked at um, enclosing the garage. The HOA said no. We because we were fancy. We were in a neighborhood with yeah, an HOA. With an yeah. HOA, even I though they did literally nothing. <laughs> Same. I've done it once. Never again. Same. <laughs> it, uh, we couldn't afford to build on, and and finally we decided if if we swap rooms and put the four boys in the master bedroom, it's big enough where, you know, it, they would have enough room and we'd take the small bedroom. And anyways, there was a, there's a, a family in our church that heard about this and, um, they wanted to help. And so they, they approached us and said, Hey, listen, he, he came and said, Hey, what, you know, what's your house payment? And I'm like, Oh, you know, it's 1100 bucks or whatever. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy you a bigger house where you can have room for Joe and you'll just pay us back at your same same payment and so he they bought us this massive six bedroom 3600 square foot home so all of our kids could have their own rooms and we had an, another family come in and, and do all they replaced all the flooring and put in a french drain and gutters and we had electricians come and change the lighting and it was just this crazy so awesome yeah it was, it so was wild and so quickly because he decided i think in october that he wanted to move in and the the state was like well we need to do it during like a school break Mm -hmm. so like christmas break and this house was disgusting as far like the carpet and i mean we 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 wouldn't have lived in the house in its condition and so to have all these people come in and paint and redo floors and um we finished just in time and he moved in right at Christmas break. That's incredible. It was amazing. It's just another example of how the church like can can wrap around yeah. families and support them and, and they made a way for us to be able to adopt Joe and it's been amazing and and um, just another beautiful example of what, what can happen if the church really buys into this yeah. and, and, and wants to help. And this is kind of what Hope Local does too, right? Absolutely. I mean, you try to network and connect and support these families in the same way that your community has helped you raise all these kids yeah, exactly <laughs> what, what we've experienced in terms of support you know obviously we've we've had there's a thousand of these stories we had you know people help us get the home when whenever joe moved in he wanted to play baseball and had a family come take us to the academy and buy his glove and his bat which was like hundreds of dollars right. crazy expensive. yeah ridiculous we, and then you know we've gone we had tough stuff you know we had um families come and, and pray with us in the middle of the night and after you know tough nights and we've had you know just all sorts of help and so we want to we want to help equip churches to be able to build that kind of support in their in their congregations as well because it's so important there's there's a stat again i don't i don't know if it's true for sure but i think it's true <laughs> it's hard to check any, it's of, hard these to check any yeah. of these things but um most foster families that get licensed they they quit after after a year some most of them don't even make it to a full year and i think wow. i think having support can really really change that and so i think that's really really important to support our families yeah Yeah, i agree a lot of times foster families are looked at like 
the crazies, you know, and their house is chaos and things are broken and their kids are cussing. So you don't want, you know, your family to hang out with their family yeah. because there's the, a stigma there. The, the bad influences. And I got that, you know, I understood that we, when we had kids in our house that were having rages and the language that they would use, I mean, I would get why our neighbors wouldn't want their children around our children. Yeah. But it's also such an opportunity to like disciple our children that we love the unlovable because we are loved. And so if we can really get that culture into our churches that we don't isolate people that are broken, but we move towards them. Mm. um, I think that, that is going to what's going to help foster families be able to continue doing what they're doing on a long-term basis Um, because not everyone is called or equipped or in a season where they can bring bring that into their home right but for those of us that that do it really takes a lot of support i don't know what we would have done without people showing up with pizza, showing up to pray, um, show, showing up to help us clean up glass after a big rage, um, mm. just in those really dark moments, coming to take our biological kids for the weekend um, so that we could kind of deal with some issues happening. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a village. Now, Jonah is your oldest? Our newest. Your newest. Yeah, our newest. Yeah, he's <laughs> 20. Our, t- our, um, our two oldest adopted sons are both 20. Who is this here with you today? That's Judah. He's our Judah. 13-year-old. So yeah. sorry. They're all J's. Okay. So it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah. um, Judah, we, we, we were thinking he might get on the uh, the recording today, but he really needed to get out there and do some fishing. That's all he's been thinking about since he woke up this morning, <laughs> came downstairs, and he had his fishing poles on the ready to go. We haven't talked about this yet, and uh, surely I'll get it in the introduction for our audience, but we're out at Camp Carter, the YMCA Camp Carter. Uh, I think it's 300 and something acres out here. It's absolutely beautiful. So he he knew he'd been out here before, I guess. No, he we just uh, knew. oh you just knew there was fishing. Yeah, he okay. He looks at places on Google Maps right, to right. see if there's water there. Oh, and so he's so he, he was ready. He, he had his fishing pole and <laughs> yeah, I told him that we were coming out to Camp Carter for um, Hope Local mm-hmm. um, event that that we were helping um, with OCOK and with Gladney, and um, he he looked it up on maps. And was like, can I come? There's water. There's water there. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but you you also have to volunteer. So I need help with check-in and registration and, you know, help with the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 mom. And yeah, yeah. he was like, will I be able to fish? <laughs> and I was like, probably no promises. And so, <laughs> yeah, when he saw that we were doing this, he was like, can I Cut now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, he, this is your oldest biological. These are middle biological. Oh, okay. We well, have a lot of children. Yes, you do. I'm trying to keep up. I'm sorry. Um, how, I, I guess what I was trying to lead into is is what what has this been like um, for them? You know, they're they're your biological children, and then you've got kids coming in, you know, periodically to so that y'all can help take care of them. What uh, what do you feel like the impact is on on your kids? Uh, this is my. This is one of the most asked questions we get, and it's one of my favorite things to talk about because it's probably one of the most misunderstood things in this arena. It's very scary to bring new kids in your home. You just don't, you don't know how they're going to influence or impact your kids, or um, sometimes um, they see things that you wouldn't want them to see, and all yeah. those types of things. And and um, 
when I was younger in this, I, I really shared those feelings. I was really nervous about this and how is this going to affect them. And, and as I've matured and gone through this, I've realized what an amazing opportunity it is for them to participate in the ministry of serving others. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we've kind of built this culture um, in, in our churches where we kind of imagine, hey, if we, if we raise our kids right one day, they'll step into something great and do some ministry or, or, or be a good person. Mm-hmm. But really what we should be doing is is allowing them to step into that ministry now so that they can experience it and grow in their faith and 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 really experience those stuff in a, that stuff in a deep way and and that's what we've seen and it's really surprising and, and humbling to see how well our, our kids have handled all of this they they really approach it as um, a ministry they understand what it means to sacrifice their comfort and their security to serve someone who needs it and they've really stepped into loving their brother their brothers and their sister and all the foster kids have come in 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 a in a way that's um it's really beautiful and if we allow them that opportunity it's really amazing to see and of course there's been difficulty there's been things they've seen things that i didn't want them to see they've heard things that i didn't want them to hear but all that's equaled is opportunity to to parent them into those situations and pastor them through that stuff and then allow them to exercise their own faith in ministry and so it is a little bit scary and it is definitely difficult but the results are they're walking in a level of faith that I don't see many adults walking in. Yeah. They they really have a relationship with the Lord that's deep because they've had to rely on it. They've got to exercise their faith. They've got to experience things that lots of people never have. And so it's beautiful and amazing and messy and difficult all at one time. And, and I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely scary, you know, I think I alluded to earlier, a lot of times you're like, you know, we're not going to play with those kids, we're not going to watch those shows, we're not going to be around those people, Um, we may volunteer, you know, with the homeless one Saturday, but then we're going to go back to our to our home and so to have that opportunity for our kids has been a, a really amazing experience also scary mm-hmm. um, we've definitely had times where our kids have needed therapy and, and you know to process some of the things that they have seen and heard um, but also they Judah is on the panel with me um, that we do uh, once a month in different communities and he answers a lot of these questions so if there wasn't water here <laughs> you would have got him on the microphone dang it next time we're doing this in a parking lot yeah, yeah. at a mall next, yeah. <laughs> next time next time but he'll talk about seeing the effects of of drugs even yeah. and how you know a lot of times at his age he's 13 it's like oh that's cool or whatever but he's seen his brother homeless and skinny and suffering and there's no appeal to him at all and one of the things he said the last panel which I barely held it together because I I never know what's going to come out of his mouth um he said at 13 I don't remember exactly how he said it but he was like I get to do ministry in my own home and I was like oh my gosh like yes that's he gets it he gets it because <laughs> sometimes you don't know and our 10 year old definitely I mean it doesn't he we've been doing it since he was three and he I don't think he quite grasps everything he just loves having like the big kids always love him 
So he just, he loves having kids over. Um, He's sad when they leave. He cries when they leave. (laughs) Versus my 16 year old is like, finally. (laughs) A break. Yeah. Yeah. The house is, the house is quiet. He's like very logical and he knows all the stats from his dad. He's like, this is ridiculous. There should not be kids. Go, go talk to a church, you know, but Mm -hmm. he, he is definitely happy happy when they leave but we've even had there was like a solar salesman that came to the door and they were like 19 he ended up staying for dinner with us because that's <laughs> that's the Reedlands and uh, he left to like go home and my 10 year old was like oh, I thought he was a foster I thought he was gonna <laughs> stay with us like, we don't get to keep that one no <laughs> I'm like no he wants to put gear on our roof yeah I'm like no he's like an, a young adult like he's, <laughs> he's fine he has a mom <laughs> and a job apparently and a job yeah he's good <laughs> that's great well um, with with Hope Local where can people find you and uh, find ways to support you yeah Hope Local HopeLocal.com is our website and of course we're all over social media search Hope Local and um, we'd love to we'd love for people to help us connect to their churches we definitely have volunteer opportunities as well we'd love to um, you know, just be, what I've learned is just knowing people and networking is such a powerful tool. You just never know who knows Absolutely. someone. And so yeah. also Chelsea and I love to um, be connected to families that are kind of in the process of stepping into foster care and adoption. And so if anybody ever wants to chat and learn about that stuff, they can always reach out to us and we can help. And um, we'd love to be a part of that. Yeah. Monthly donors. Monthly donors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do need donors. We're <laughs> donor funded and, and yeah. that'd be helpful too. Yeah, we just we see what we're doing is working, and we're ready to grow and ready to expand. And That's awesome. um, it takes staff. Yeah. Well, you'll have a few more followers today for your social media for sure. Great. And yeah. uh, anytime y'all have uh, something that you need to get out to the public, or you'd like to be on the show, um, let me know. You guys awesome. are always welcome on Fort Worth Roots. Thanks so much for having Thank us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank y'all. All right. Um, after enough hours of it, you still realize that you continue to hate your own voice. <laughs> but you, you get used to the embarrassment of it. So tell me wow. your name again for the recording. All right. My name is Judy Faustro. All right. And it's this easy. We're already okay. recording. So okay. tell me your name for the recording. Lori Stripmatter. Lori Stripmatter. Okay. And are you on uh, Facebook or any of the social media sites? No, I don't no? do anything like that. Okay, can you spell your last name for me? S, T as in Tom, R, I, T, T as in Tom, M, A, T, T as in Tom, E, R. Perfect. That way I don't mess it up. Okay. <laughs> Is it Lori with an I, right? That's right. Okay. Now, you've been a... a uh, a big player in the foster care system here in Tarrant County for a number of years is, is what I, I think I just heard. Is that correct? Well, I, uh, my husband and I became uh, dual licensed uh, adoptive foster parents um, back in 93, 92, 1992, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we did that for a few years and then we actually adopted um, our son in 1993. He was two and a half years old, and um, that's kind of it. We we were going to uh, actually continue doing that, and then uh, we got transferred out of Texas, and so that was kind of the end of that. Okay. Now, what uh, if you don't mind me asking, what made you and your husband decide that you wanted to be a foster parent? Well, actually. My mother is adopted, mm-hmm. and um, my 
husband's dad is adopted. So we've always kind of had adoption in our family. Uh, my mother actually rode an orphan train um, to Texas back in 1925, which kind of was the beginning of foster care mm-hmm. in this country. So That's um, kind of the start of the Gladney story, isn't it? That's right. The Gladney was, was for a while, the last stop on the orphan train in Fort Worth. Uh, but then it continued on south for a little bit, uh, actually down to South Texas, which is where my mother rode the train to. Now, I don't think we've told the Fort Worth Roots listeners about the orphan train. What, what was that about? That was a big movement that started in the late 1800s because there were so many orphaned children on the the streets of New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, People coming in from different countries and um, some where the parents didn't survive the trip, but then the kids were there. Right. Um, And then others, there was just, you know... uh, what do you call them, pandemics, epidemic type of things yeah. where parents would die mm-hmm. um, or the mother would die and the dad couldn't take care of them. And so there were a lot of children just running around in the streets. And so um, there was a, a man named Charles Loring Brace. He was with the Children's Aid Society and he got this idea to um, send the children to basically west, south and west, to other areas of the country where they could maybe use children Hmm. and uh, give them homes and things like that. Uh, My mother actually came through the New York Foundling Hospital, which was a Catholic hospital in New York, that she was, um, she was left there by her birth mother. This is the story we've been told. So she was left there by her birth mother when she was 18 months old. And then uh, when she was three, she was put on an orphan train. Mm -hmm. Now the Catholic hospital did a little bit different in the Children's Aid Society because they already had a network of churches and pastors. Okay. So they put out a bunch of information and said, pastors, are there people in your parishes that would be willing to take in children? And so when my mother got on the orphan train, she knew exactly where she was going. Mm-hmm. Whereas other children who were on the orphan train, they would stop at different cities along the way and the children would get out and stand on the train platform and people would you know, say, okay, well, I'll take this one or I'll take that one. Or Wow. A lot of families were split up that way. A little informal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yes. if, if uh, so we, we load the children up in New York and then they work their way down train station by train station. And I guess if they didn't get picked up, they'd get back on the train and try the next town. Exactly. And, and so Fort Worth was the last chance. It was the last chance for a number of years. Um, like I said, my mother actually went all the way to South Texas. I don't know exactly when... Um, that's where when it started continuing right. on, but yeah. yes, um, uh, Gladney got started because she would take babies who were left on the train uh-huh. at the end of the road in Fort Worth. How and crazy! Would take them in to the home. Yeah, that's so wild. Take care of them. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of good placements that way, and you know, obviously some that didn't go so well. Yeah. Um, back in the 1980s. Um, a woman uh, started looking into the orphan train and started the Orphan Train Heritage Society. And they put uh, notices in newspapers all over the country. If you rode an orphan train, contact me. Uh-huh. And so my brother saw that and my mother had ridden the orphan train. So we joined with them and we would go to reunions where my mother would meet other orphan train riders. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, and it was cool to see all of those people together. Most obviously, who were older. So, do you went to some family. of these reunions? I did okay. several. In fact, we went to New York one year, uh, and were hosted there uh, by the Children's Aid Society, and had some functions up there. We got to go to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah. Uh, so we we went to several reunions in different. Um, places as they tried to have them in different areas of the country hmm, that is so wild so, so now I, I believe whenever we were standing over there with tanya Houck, you'd said that you now uh foster infants in your home yes newborns uh mostly newborns we've had a few older ones and we even had a three-year-old once but um yes they we usually pick them up at the hospital mm-hmm. and they are going to be placed but Either they don't have a family yet, or maybe not all the paperwork is done, not all the legal stuff yeah. is done. And so we take care of them until uh, they are placed and they can go live with their new families. Man, that's a lot of work. Um, it is. It's it's fun, though. Yeah. We really enjoy it. So how does that work? Does somebody like Tanya from the Gladney Center contact you and say, hey, what are you doing? That's exactly <laughs> what she does. <laughs> exactly. She'll call or she'll text and, hey, you ready for a little girl? Hey, you ready for a little boy? Yeah. And then we get all the information and... Uh, they're in our in our home. Um, about the average is about thirty days, but you know sometimes it may be a couple of weeks, and sometimes it may be eight weeks. Yeah. And every once in a while, there are there are um, foster moms and foster families who have had them even for longer, just depending on the situation mm-hmm. of the baby. Um, I was sitting down with uh, I, I I guess the founder. Uh, I'm blanking on his name of Hope Local. I don't know if you know those folks. Uh, it's an organization that uh, primarily tries to support families that are involved in the adoption process here in the Fort Worth, Tarrant okay. County area. Okay. And he was telling me that uh, a, a pretty staggering statistic that the number of children that we have in the foster care system here in Texas, if we were able to put one of those children uh, with a family at at I'm messing this up. If every family, if every church in Texas mm-hmm. had a family that would sponsor one child, mm-hmm. there'd be no more problems with the wow. foster care system. Wow. They would actually have a surplus of homes for children. God, that's amazing. You would not think that. Yeah. And you would not think that would be hard to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's a church for, right? Exactly. Other than to uplift our community, and that's exactly. there's a huge need for that. Right. right? Well, which is basically what the Catholic churches did during the orphan train uh-huh. thing is they would just ask families, hey, will you take another one in? Right. My mother was taken in by a family that already had 12 children. Mm-hmm. So she was number 13. Wow. And how many children do you usually foster at a time? Just one. Just one. Yeah. yeah. We have a couple of, we've had a couple of times where we've had twins, mm-hmm. but uh, I have not been lucky enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there uh, any kind of uh, message that you'd like to share with the public? Is there misinformation out there that you're constantly trying to correct whenever people have questions about the foster care system? Um, any kind of point to really drive home? No, I think that, um, in my case, these babies, but children also, when we adopted our two-and-a-half-year-old, um, it is a lot of work, but you gain so much from it. Mm-hmm. And even having these babies just for a little while, people ask, how can you let them go? And the 
the act of us handing a baby over to their new parents is amazing. It's so joy joyous that I don't even feel like I'm losing something. It's not a it's not a sense of loss, more no. more of a fulfillment. Yes, that's exactly. excellent. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this recording. I I don't feel like we had to pull teeth to get you to sit down <laughs> with us, but we we had to course you a little bit. A little so bit, thank you right. very much. You're welcome. Um, and you work directly with the Gladney Center? Yes, I do. That's excellent. And um, I, I guess usually when I sit down with somebody, I'm always trying to promote something for them, but mm-hmm. you, you don't necessarily have... Uh, anything individually that you'd like to promote, I don't believe, but no. the, the Gladney Center as a whole and, and the organization that you work with? Yes. Um, I think really in this in this climate now with um, uh, mothers who find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy, uh, to know that there are options out right. there, and adoption is a big one of those yeah. options. And I think sometimes people don't even consider that. Yeah. Um, that adoption is, you know, again, the mothers think, how can I ever give up my baby? But on the other hand, you're really not. You're choosing to place your baby with that, with another family. Yeah. And Tanya made a really good point. Um, at some, some time ago, we were doing a recording, and she mentioned that there's been uh, opportunities for the mothers to uh, utilize the adoption system to, to help their babies out, a young mother right. that maybe is not prepared for this. And uh, she's seen people actually talk the mother out of doing the adoption whenever the mother knew that that was probably the best situation. Right. And there shouldn't be shame associated with somebody that has, you know, made the effort to, you know, deliver the baby instead of abortion, but they know that they're not fit maybe to, to handle that right. child. And it's okay be, to, it, it to is okay. seek help. And that's why I was saying that adoption is such a beautiful option. Um, I think so many people look at your only choices are abortion or parent, and yeah. that is just not the case. Right, right. Awesome. Lori, thank you so much. You're quite You got any shopping to do today, right uh, before Christmas? <laughs> no, probably not. I don't do a lot of shopping on Saturdays in the mall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. Although I do have a lot of children and grandchildren, so um, I have a lot of things to still get done. <laughs> You're going to do some of that online? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, that's the <laughs> way to go. Most definitely. Most okay. definitely. Well, okay. thank you so much. And we, we've got some uh, we've got some air fresheners there. It's Fort Worth Roots air fresheners. If you have uh, a desire to put one of those in your car, you're welcome to take one, two, as many as you need. No. I'm actually allergic to alpha Are you serious? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, there's stickers then. <laughs> okay. Stickers I can take. Okay. Thank you, Lori. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. Bye-bye. Another huge thank you to our friends, Judy, Jim, Chelsea, Lori. Thank you all for being a part of the show. Uh, there's a lot of information in here that uh, I know that before I sat down with Tanya Houck to talk about the Gladney Center, I didn't know about any of this. And a lot of it would have come to uh, be a surprise to me. So I hope that the listeners uh, learned a little bit today about the foster care system and uh, you know how, how much of a need there is in our community for stuff like this. And you don't have to adopt. You don't have to be a foster parent, but you can support these organizations either with your time or monetarily so we'll have all these links in the show notes uh, for let me look at this unfaulted the gladney center casa of tarrant county hope local and uh any more if i can think of anything i'm missing but anyway in the show notes you can find it there above all else merry christmas everybody thank you for listening to the fort worth roots podcast and i hope that you get to spend some time with some family eat some good food and just relax 
It's cold outside. It's real cold. I know because I was out yesterday putting up these signs for a very itchy Christmas. If you get a chance, come on out. Southside Preservation Hall. I was these, There's a video on social media if you want to look at me being an idiot. But I was out there trying to tape these signs to poles yesterday. It was 16 degrees. I could not get the tape to work. Ended up having to start looking for wood poles and using a staple gun. Anyway. I just really felt like I had to tell you that. Southside Preservation Hall at, uh, excuse me, on Lipscomb, Lipscomb Street, uh, Friday, December 23rd. That's tonight. Doors open at 4. Going to have Daryl Sellers, Big Heaven, Itchy Richie, and the Burning Sensations, and the Traumatics. I just wanted to release this one early. Get all this information out to you and wish you a Merry Christmas. So, all right. Y'all know the sponsors. Roofing Solutions by Darren Houck. RoofingSolutionsHawk.com, 817-882-6520. Don't take my word for it. Look them up online, whatever services you use, Google or whatever. I don't care where you look them up because you're going to find out that they have the best ratings in town. That's why we like having them as a sponsor. We know uh, you're not going to get mad at us if you use them. Quite the opposite. So, Roofing Solutions by Darren Hauk. That's RoofingSolutionsHawk.com and 817-882-6520. Our friends over at Woodpost Metalworks are offering you 10% off. Use podcast 817 at checkout. That's woodpostmetalworks.com. And then uh, Hawkwalker Originals. Go to hawkwalker.com. Lots of amazing handcrafted items that you can check out on their website. And these people are all local. So whenever you're buying stuff uh, for your company or you're buying stuff for gifts, give these guys a check. check. Check these guys out. Give these guys a try. You will not be disappointed. Again, that's hawkwalker.com. Calm. All right, we're done. Spring Fest 2023, April 22nd. More details to come on that. And that's it. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Uh, be careful. Did you know that 90% of, uh, um, what do they call that? Physical therapy? 90% of physical therapy patients um, show up to the doctor's office as a result of falling off a ladder. Now you know that. Be careful on them ladders. Christmas lights, tree decorations, whatever. Trying to get reindeer off your roof. All right, that's it. Merry Christmas. See you next week. Bye.